I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Have you ever had a time in your life where where you just weren't sure how you were going to make it through it? A, a time of intense suffering. Well, that's what we're coming into as uh, we approach Holy Week, that time in the life of Christ where he experienced a depth of suffering that we can never know because he wasn't just suffering as as a, a human, as a person experiencing pain and loss and anguish, uh, but he was experiencing the pain and anguish and loss of all humanity uh, as God become man for our sake. And so here he enters tomorrow is Palm Sunday. Uh, it says he set his his face like flint for Jerusalem, that basically he was set in stone. He knew what was going to happen if he returned to Jerusalem, and he did it anyway. He set his face like stone. He brought his, uh, his disciples with him to come and celebrate the Passover in a place that meant for him certain death. And so tomorrow, uh, we're going to read through in, in Mass the entirety of the Passion narrative. It's going to be a long reading, uh, and we're going to hear all in one fail swoop, uh, the whole passion narrative. Now, this is an important day. It's the, the first of many important days as we come into this, uh, this holy week. Uh, we're going to have this glorious mass tomorrow on Palm Sunday. Uh, they'll probably wave the palms, and then those palms we're going to keep. You get to take it home, uh, and then we bring it back. We bring that same palm back to the church to be burned for Ash Wednesday. And that's the ashes that uh, are put on our head, right? So th- it's, it's all connected. But, but tomorrow we get the palms. We celebrate uh, Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. But even as it was a triumphant, even as the people gathered around, they gathered to see the spectacle of the man they thought was a prophet— uh, coming in to hopefully save them from the Romans, to, to overthrow the Roman Empire and restore the kingdom to Israel. And that's not the kind of salvation that Christ was bringing. He was come to save us not from our physical oppressors, but from our spiritual oppressors, the, the oppressor of our, uh, our habitual sins. So here Christ comes to overcome sin and death and to reconcile us to God, to provide true salvation. And, uh, but the people, they gathered around to, to give him homage, to give him uh, praise. To, to, They're so excited because they thought that him riding in in this manner was a symbol of what he was getting ready to do. And it was, but not in the way they thought. So here they are, they gather uh, and we gather uh, to, to celebrate Christ's triumphant entry into Jerusalem tomorrow. But then, uh, then at some point in this week, uh, your diocese is going to do a chrism mass. It's part of Holy Week, even though it's not part of Holy Week. And all of the all the priests, every priest in your diocese is going to gather at the cathedral with the bishop. 
And the oils are going to be consecrated. We have three oils. We have the oil of the catechumenate, uh, the oil of the, uh, the chrism oil, right? And then, which is the stuff that smells like heaven when you baptize babies or you have confirmation. And then the oil of the sick. Those three oils are oils that are used in various rites of the church uh, throughout the year. And so every year during Holy Week, generally on Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, every priest in the diocese gathers at the cathedral and the bishop consecrates and blesses these oils for use in the church. And so then all of the new oils go from the cathedral to every parish in the diocese. And then all of the all the oil that's left over from last year is then burned in the Paschal fire, which is coming up on Holy Saturday. And then we've got a couple of quiet days. And then Thursday, the narrative really begins in earnest, where Christ uh, celebrates Passover with his apostles in the upper room. And we remember that day. We call it Monday Thursday or Holy Thursday, because it has to do with the mandate that Christ gave his apostles, do this in, in remembrance of me. And we remember that very first Mass, that, that time when Christ both instituted the sacrament of the Mass and ordained his apostles as priests. He told them, do this in remembrance of me. And the words that he uses there in the Greek uh, point to not just a memorial, not just a remembrance or a memorial meal, but a memorial sacrifice. And of course, if you're going to have a sacrifice, you have to have a priest to offer that sacrifice. And so uh, so here he is on Thursday instituting the Eucharist and, uh, and ordaining his priests. Friday, we celebrate Good Friday. We celebrate the death of Christ who came for that, that specific purpose, who came uh, into the world that we might be reconciled to God through his death, right? He overcame death through dying. So then we go to Holy Saturday, which will be together again by next Holy Saturday. And there's that beautiful reading that we always read. Stick around for next week because I love this Holy Saturday homily. I think it's from the fourth century, but I'll, I'll tell you more clearly next week. But here we have those three days, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, that make up what we celebrate as the three days, the triduum, the three days. And that's a liturgy that's different than any other in the whole church year because those three days make up one liturgy. When you go to Mass every week, they say uh, they have the the greeting, right? Uh, Grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, and we say, and with your spirit. And then we have the the rite of uh, the, the the ritual, right? The hearing the word of God, and then we have the Eucharist. So that's at every every mass. And then at the end, we get a dismissal, right? Well, on Holy Thursday, we get the greeting, but not the dismissal. On Good Friday, we don't get the greeting or the dismissal. And on Holy Saturday, we don't get the greeting, but we do get the dismissal. So all those three days together make up one liturgy. And the man, if you've never been to a uh, to an Easter vigil, I recommend it. We're we're gluttons for punishment in our family. We take the whole family, uh, all 
all six kids, ranging from age um, nine to uh, just over a year. And it's a two-hour liturgy if you don't have anyone being confirmed or, uh, not, or, or, or baptized, right? If it's just a plain old nobody's going through RCIA, it's still a two-hour liturgy. And then you add people coming into the church, which is always a beautiful thing and a healthy sign of growth for the church. Uh, you add that, and it can easily get up to a three-hour liturgy. But just such amazing, amazing liturgy. Uh, you, you come in and the, the paschal fire is lit in the darkness outside. And then they bring in the candle and they lift it up and they say the light of Christ. And they say it three times as they process that candle in. And then the whole sanctuary is filled with the light from candles. And Christ who had died, Christ who was the light of the world, which had been snuffed out and removed from our sight on Good Friday, Christ who his presence was removed from the sanctuary entirely. The, the, all the consecrated hosts were removed on Thursday. Christ, who is not in our midst, has come back in glory. The light of Christ re-enters the room, and there's just this sense of joy. And then we hear the whole story. Not the whole story like we're going to hear tomorrow. Not the whole passion story. We hear the whole story of salvation all the way back from when Adam and Eve were created and fell. All the way through the promises that God made throughout history. We hear seven readings from the Old Testament. Seven psalms that tell us the story of God's faithfulness and our salvation. God's faithfulness in, in our unfaithfulness, God's faithfulness to the promise when we were unfaithful to the promise, God's faithfulness to us when we were in the midst of suffering, when we were in the midst of exile, we hear that story. And then for the first time, we're going to hear the Gloria and the Alleluia, and the lights come on, and then we read the gospel. And oh, just the, uh, it's pageantry. I mean, it really is. It's, it is Christ's triumphant entry, not into Jerusalem that we're going to celebrate tomorrow, but back into the church. And we retell the story. And you may say, well, you know, I've, I've heard this story. I know this story. I know that Christ came and Christ died. I know that we were bad and God was good. I, I've heard this. Well, yes, we have heard this, and hopefully we hear it again and again every year because each time we learn something new from it. Each time there's a new portion of this that, that God draws us into the mystery. Peter talks about it in, in his epistle. He says, I, I know that you know this, but I want you to stir up by way of remembrance, and that's what this is for us. So I'm looking forward to it. This is uh, always an exciting time for us as a family to participate in this Holy Week liturgies. And I hope that you will do it as well uh, this, this year. Make this year the year that you go to every Holy Week liturgy. Well, we're going to come back and we're going to have a talk about suffering, about what does it mean for Christ to have suffered for us and what does it mean for us in our suffering to join that to the suffering of Christ on the cross. Got a great conversation coming up with Dr. David Franks. Don't go anywhere. Join me over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. And we'll be right back right after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. So glad that you're here with us today. We've got a great show. We're talking with Dr. David Franks from Boston, Massachusetts. He is a theologian activist, as he is self-described, uh, and blogs and has a, a website over at newcityrising.com. Uh, now, Dr. Dr. Franks, thank you for being on the show today. Oh, thank you for having me. We have a little bit in common. Uh, I see that you have six children. Uh, I have six children. Yes. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, our seventh is on the way. I see that you have a Therese uh, complete with the happy eyebrows, right? That's what I call the, the accent <laughs> marks above the E's. Uh, and we have a Catherine Therese, which we also made use of the happy eyebrows. So um, I feel a, a kinship with you already. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's great. I hadn't heard that one before. That I like that. The happy eyebrows. Yeah. So you are the director of development, chairman of the board for Massachusetts Citizens for Life. That's a, a big role. Uh, and today we're talking uh, about what, what I think is something that recognizes the dignity of the human person, recognizes that, that life uh, concept, uh, and that's the role of suffering, which is a, a topic we don't like to really address all that often, but one that I think is important and specifically apropos is we're coming in tomorrow uh, to, Holy Sat to, to Palm Sunday, and then we go through the passion or the, the suffering of Jesus over the course of Holy Week, uh, culminating with the joy of the resurrection on Easter. But we can't know the fullness of joy of resurrection without really coming to grips with what suffering uh, means. So today what I want to look at is twofold. One, let's look at what it means that Christ has suffered for us, uh, and then after we've developed that for a while, then I want to look at what does it mean, uh, as the Apostle Paul talks about, for us to be able to suffer in our sufferings with Christ and His. So I'm going to let you go from here, and I'll just interject as, as I have thoughts and clarifications. Well, I think this is the most important topic, actually, for um, a Christian who wants to evangelize. But frankly, I think it's the most important topic for just existing in the world. When Paul says, I preach Christ and him crucified, he's not saying something that's, that's bitter medicine to go along with all the good stuff that Christianity is supposed to present. He's saying this is the heart of the, the joy of the gospel. This is the thing we, we give the world that is some way of, of grappling with the, the disasters that so many of us endure at so many points in our lives, the, the whole anguish of the, the body of humanity throughout history. And if Christ can't be seen to touch our suffering, then we really don't have anything to say to the world. So I am very grateful that you're bringing, the, I think it is the most important topic mm -hmm. um, for evangelization and for existence. Well, and beyond so, even evangelization, just understanding it within ourselves. I, I think we, right. before we can go out and, and meet anyone in their own suffering, perhaps this is the, the whole point of the incarnation, before we can go and meet anyone in the midst of their suffering, we have to to not not just merely sympathize and say, "Oh, how how I can only imagine how bad that is," but to really experience and come alongside and and empathize with that. That that's what I mean when I say that is the most important issue, also for our own existence. We, how do we get along in life when when everything falls apart? Um, a lot of us in our age group, right? We, we're dealing with. Uh, looking at how our lives have not maybe uh, turned out the way we had planned them to. Uh, things that are 
existential questions and, and, and make us wonder, what is my place in the universe? If I can't look at Jesus Christ on the cross, I, have, I know for myself I have nothing. And I know that I couldn't survive without being able to, to look at the crucifix and know that that reality is what is really real. When I was, um, I, like you, I'm a convert. So I was raised a Baptist um, in Arkansas. And uh, one of my great acts of rebellion growing up was to, and this was ironic, it was at the, uh, it was a trip to Washington, D.C. to the National Cathedral. So here in a, an Episcopalian place, I, I, I bought a crucifix. Mm-hmm. And that was, for Baptists, that was kind of, right. kind of rebellious. <laughs> and I always, you know, the great hymn singing and all that in my Baptist childhood and, and the great attention to scripture, I loved it. But I missed being able to see the body of Jesus on the cross because, and, and I think that had an impact on how I, as a, as a Baptist, looked at salvation. I, I, I would think of it, if Christ isn't on the cross, then I'm, I'm looking backwards in an event. I, I'm thinking back as opposed to what is always at the center of the Catholic Church is the reality right now, as Pascal says, that Christ is in anguish until the end of the world. It, that I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. All the other people who are dying in their millions right now are not alone because Jesus is still with us in our suffering. Well, and I think to some extent uh, that if we just imagine that Christ was on the cross in our linear time frame, that we can right. look back 2,000 years and see that historic moment that, that Christ was crucified. Uh, then there's the question, well, if Christ took care of all of our suffering uh, at the cross, why am I having to endure the suffering now? As opposed to this, this concept that, yes, Christ was crucified at a distinct moment in the, the historical timeline, and yet uh, God, who is outside of time, uh, who created time and can't be bound by time, is currently at this moment still presenting himself to the Father on behalf of our current sufferings at this moment. It is exactly that sacramental realism that that, that we are in the presence of the sacrifice of Jesus at every moment. Because as you say, the God-man, he steps onto this altar between heaven and earth, and he's able then to bring eternity and time together. So he, he really does inhabit every single human existence from the beginning to the end. And that means we're never alone. No matter how abandoned we feel, we're never alone. So now what does that mean for the person who absolutely feels uh, objectively abandoned? They feel alone. Uh, whether that be the person listening or whether that be someone that we are very close to and we know, how do we appropriate that knowledge of, of Christ being with us to the person who's uh, languishing? For the Catholic, we have the great benefit, of course, of the Eucharist, which makes that, that reality of Christ's profound entry into our um, condition, it, our brokenness. Uh, always present. So I know I'm going through a dark time. I, it's a very, it's been a very painful time for me. But uh, what has kept me alive is the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. So for any Catholic, you have it literally it's kept me alive because you go day after day, and there Jesus is, and it's not, it's not consolation in any um, normal affective sense, emotional sense. Usually, it's it's the fact that Jesus is there. He's just there, and it's not that we're going to tell the world. Well, if you know this thing about Jesus, then you're going to feel better. You might, you might not. The fact is suffering is suffering. And, and when it gets to the most profound suffering, it, it's, there is nothing to ameliorate it. It's just 
you get to know and and sometimes you just need a friend to be there with you to remind you or just to to be present to 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 kind of silently uh, be the icon of the fact that Jesus is there mm-hmm. period and that reality for for the people who are, are dying in the dungeons of the sex trade and so on that reality of Jesus's presence doesn't mean we can feel happy go lucky about the suffering of the world but it means that we don't lose hope in the mm-hmm. face of these horrors yeah so here we have Christ presented to us and this this week tomorrow we're going to have this this long reading. So when it comes time to the gospel, make sure you're wearing comfortable shoes tomorrow at mass because we have this very long reading of of the whole passion that kicks off uh, this week. And and I want you to imagine uh, your cross in the midst of hearing Christ put on a cross and crucified. Imagine the suffering that you are feeling, have felt, that someone who is close to you is feeling, and, and realize that that in the midst of Christ's suffering, in the midst of, of him being humiliated and, and beaten and stripped and, and put upon the cross, that he was participating fully in, in the specific sufferings that, that you are going through, that your friend is going through. Absolutely right. And, and it, it is so important that you emphasize that point about our specific suffering. It isn't the fact I think too often theologians will present this notion of Jesus' suffering on the cross as something that happened then, so that the notion of the, the cross without the corpus, um, this historicist notion of Jesus' uh, redemptive work being an exchange between the, some God guy and, and God the Father, that, that's kind of going over on above our heads, that betrays the whole reality of the gospel, which is that Jesus is, when he became flesh, he united himself with the flesh of all humanity, and like Gaudium says, 22 says, in some way he united himself with each human being. Mm-hmm. And he is literally right now, when you, are, when you are in despair, Jesus is in that. When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is not play acting. Mm-hmm. He's not playing a role. He is saying this as God the Son, because in following the Father's loving will to save us, he goes into the deepest abandonment, and that's the great uh, – there's a theologian named Balthazar who, who talks about this, this paradox, that abandonment is, is a mode of union. Hmm. And that reality, that in, in the undergoing this, this, the shearing forces of all of history, Jesus is still one with the Father, though he no longer feels it. Mm-hmm. Because the Trinity is able to engulf all of our pain – we are able to live in hope. So these liturgies that we're about to experience, they are not a remembrance of some far away, long ago event, but they are a participation in the redemption that has come to us right now that gives us hope. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Dr. David Franks. He blogs over at NewCityRising.com. Join our conversation over at Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle is at Outside the Walls. When we come back, we're going to talk about how we join our suffering to the suffering of Christ on the cross. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. We're talking today about suffering, everyone's favorite topic, right? Uh, speaking of suffering, my uh, my my son, my uh, second to youngest, he uh, he experienced a little bit of suffering this week. He decided to uh, roll off a slide incorrectly, and it's broken his collarbone. And I don't know Ooh. if if you've ever seen a um, a three year old in a, in a uh, brace, but they don't get along well. Uh, braces and three-year-olds. He's, he's trying to still run and, and then he'll trip and he'll fall and he'll be really upset that it hurts. And why does this hurt? And we're like, buddy, man, you got to calm down. So we haven't yet gotten to the place where we just look at him and say, offer it up, kid. Uh, <laughs> speaking of suffering and, uh, and participating in the sufferings of Christ, that's what we're talking about today with our guest, uh, Dr. David Franks. He, you can find out his writing and more about him over at newcityrising.com. Uh, his self-appointed title is theologian activist. But after reading a couple of your things there, I, I just want to add the word poet, like theologian poet activist, because the the turn of phrases that you use are not your your or they're very descriptive. They're very poetic in their in their com- composition. So uh, glad to have you on board today. Thank you for those kind words, and I'm I'm going to revise that and add poet. I think because I've been working on a lot of poetry lately. Mm-hmm. So. Suffering is good for that. <laughs> you know, I, um, I did a blog post, gosh, a long time ago when I was in the middle of trying to to woo my my now wife, uh, and her family was not having it. Uh, <laughs> and I, I wrote this this thing called "Pain is the Pen," right? And what what truth that is is that in the midst of our suffering, wow, we're really good at expressing. And just the picture yeah. of the Psalms shows you that when you read yeah. the Psalms. The, the, the suffering that we endure individually and communally has a way of uh, evoking a great amount of poetry. Absolutely. No, every great work of art, it, it has its roots in suffering. So mm-hmm. I have a three-year-old, Cecilia. She's the most rambunctious child. I can't imagine being in a... That's, I'm sorry, that's sad. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is. You know, it's really funny because, as you know, with three-year-olds, he'll, he'll have this moment of realization that something's wrong and he's stuck in this little uh, sling with Velcro mm-hmm. to keep his hand in the right place. And mm-hmm. I'll have this moment of, of deep, profound grief go across his face. And then two minutes later, 30 seconds later, he'll see a balloon and all of a sudden he's completely oblivious to the fact that he's now <laughs> right. restrained. So th- there's a, at least there's that. Right. Right. That's right. Uh, that's something that the rest of us, as we have uh, grown and and matured and and honed our ability to focus in on one thing, don't have the uh, the privilege of. So here we are, we're stuck in the midst of our own suffering, uh, whether it be through uh, the loss of a loved one, a loss of a job, a loss of a relationship, some loss, some death in some way. Here we are thrown into. Uh, almost uh, a myopic place where the rest of the world dissipates as we focus on the pain to try and to manage and try and heal and try and make sense of this pain. So here we are. Uh, A a lot of folks will say, well, it's easy. You just need to unite your sufferings to to the cross of Christ, uh, as if somehow magically saying those words makes the pain disappear. Or, Or they say, offer it up. What does it mean for us? Let's just go to the practicals. How do you go about uniting your sufferings to the sufferings of Christ on the cross? That's a beautiful question. Um, You know, Pope Benedict actually in his second encyclical, Space Salvi, which is Saved in Hope, is a really great um, 
I think it's it's his finest papal writing, which is saying a, a lot. Uh, he talks. He actually mentions this practice, this devotion of offering it up, and saying this this might be something we should consider reviving for for younger generations. And I think he's he, well, he's right, of course, because the whole saving work of Jesus is to liberate humanity from evil, and he means to attach disciples to that mission. He wants us to follow him in this work. Mm-hmm. So the, the Christian has the privilege by baptism of being inserted into this mystery we're going to celebrate at the end of this week in, in the, the high holy days of Triduum. We have the, the privilege of, and it doesn't feel like a privilege, but it is the privilege of actually entering into the Paschal mystery and bearing with Jesus and in Jesus the sufferings of the world. So it's not just um, a pious phrase to say, offer it up. It's, it's what the Christian is Christian for. That is to to unite his or her sufferings to those of the cross. So, in in Pope Benedict's encyclical, he says, "Let's think about how Jesus is in total solidarity with each one of us, and in in profound union with our dark, hellish condition. And think about why it would be a beautiful thing for the Christian to recognize that." Uh, we have this joy of being able to stand with Jesus in the darkness. Mm-hmm. There's this um, apostolic letter for this topic. Uh, it's so wonderful. Salvifici Dolores by, by St. Yeah. John Paul II. Uh, just magnificent. And he, he points to Our Lady um, at the foot of the cross as, as really showing us what it means to offer it up. Because she's the first one, as he says, by a witness by her presence but also she's there as being with Jesus in compassion in his darkness. So we get to, as Father Gately talks about, console the heart of Jesus, or Mother uh, St. Teresa of Calcutta, she talked about being with Jesus in his suffering, right? To answer his, his call when he says he thirsts, he thirsts for us, for us to be there, to console him in his, in his suffering on our behalf. So this is an interesting feedback loop of, He's suffering in us, but we get a, the chance as Christians to be a turn around and suffer for him in a way and with him. And it's a, it's a it's a it's a weird joy. It's not a it's not an emotional joy, but it's a, it's a it's a profound um, gift of serenity to be able to in one's darkest moments to recognize Jesus is there. He's suffering with me, and I wonder of wonders am suffering with him. And for with him for the sake of the world. And let, let's talk about that for the sake of the world for a moment, because I can think about these moments where I've been in in anguish, whether it be uh, physical or emotional, and I want to pour all of that emotion into uh, basically pleading for God to take it away. Right? Oh. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to endure this anymore. Kind of like Christ in the garden. Lord, uh, remove this cup from me. And then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Uh, I think that for us to take that same that same prayer of Christ, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, and to realize that someone else out there is experiencing this this similar or same anguish as I am. And, and I can pour out my anguish for my own, for my own suffering. Or I can unite my sufferings to Christ and allow the anguish that I'm feeling to be poured out 
on behalf of someone else, to, to pray for someone else's situation rather than my own and just trust that in that act of charity that, that Christ will hear not only uh, my prayer for someone else, but also answer the desire of my heart. Is there some sense of that being part of what redemptive suffering is? It's so wonderful for you to say that. And, and this is why Christian community is so necessary. You're teaching me. So in my darkness, you're teaching me something, which I know, but you still need to hear it. And especially when, when you're suffering, you need to hear the things, the truths over and over again. That's why we can't leave people who are suffering alone. We need to keep saying the things, even if the person knows them. Mm-hmm. And, and with your uh, radio show, you're, you're, you're sharing this truth with the whole community. Absolutely right. Because, yes, the first thing, and it's not a bad thing, it's what Jesus does in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, let this cup pass from me, please. It, none of us wants to suffer. Mm-hmm. And it's so it's okay to ask God, the Father, to take it away. But nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. We can, in, we can double our sufferings or, or we can, we can ma- magnify them if we um, keep focusing on how bad it is and, and, and keep asking, please take it away. When in fact, as you say, if we turn around and offer it, for the sake of those who are suffering like us, or even worse than us, mm-hmm. that has a way of actually um, bringing relief. It, it really does bring a kind of consolation because now we're making ourselves present to nameless sufferers who are themselves maybe alone. We're making ourselves present to them spiritually. And that's the beauty of the communion of saints and, and of solidarity and humanity. We can actually do that in Jesus. Well, in one of the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount around the Matthew 6 area, uh, they say, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so even as we participate through our suffering as an act of mercy for someone else, as we offer those prayers and charity and solidarity with someone else, through that act of mercy, uh, we ourselves receive mercy. Through our focusing on, on the pain of someone else, uh, our own pain is consoled uh, through recognizing that I can I can turn myself inward and I can look at my own wound, or I can trust that that God will provide for my needs and pray for the needs of someone who has no one to pray for them, whoever that may be. It's just so beautifully said. Um, you're right. Uh, Pope Francis just recently gave a homily about um, we can we can dwell amongst the, the the tombs of our life right there's something dead in us sometimes because of some some anguish or or we can look up and look at Jesus and if we look at Jesus we're reminded the whole world of suffering people that he came he came to console to liberate to be with in the darkness and to see through to the other side. Yeah. You're right. We've been talking today with Dr. David Franks. Find out more about him over at newcityrising.com. Well, we're going to continue this conversation right after this as we talk about the fullness of Holy Week that we're coming to experience starting tomorrow. Join us over on facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle's at outside the walls. And talk to me about a time that you went through a time of hardship and found consolation through the cross. We'll be right back right after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. We're talking today about suffering, about uh, how how our suffering was was taken by Christ on the cross, that he fully participated, not just in, in the suffering of, of humanity to understand what it's like to be human, but but that he participated in, in our very suffering, my suffering that I experience, your suffering that you experience. He participated in that. And that through our sufferings, we can actually then participate with him in his sufferings. If you missed any part of this uh, this show and you want to go back, or maybe you you caught the whole thing, but you want to share it with someone else, great news. Everything is archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Now, if you've been a subscriber to the podcast, you're going to need to resubscribe because we've moved the location of the podcast uh, just so that we can better organize the stuff on the website, better categorize it. Now, if you go to OutsideTheWalls.com, it's still there. It's just moved where, where we've hosted it. You can find the links all right there. You can get it on the Google Play Store. You can get it on uh, iTunes. We're working on getting it on a couple of new places like Stitcher and uh, maybe iHeartRadio, a couple of places like that. Keep your eyes open. Uh, if you have a favorite podcast aggregator uh, and we're not on it, let me know. Let me know what you use and we will make sure to get our podcast, our archives of this show up on the platform that you use most often. Now, some of you have asked this week, uh, who won the bet, right? My wife and I had a little bet about how many uh, reviews I could get uh, in the span of a week. We, we went ahead and extended it just a little bit because... Um, uh, the week we only had five. We had five reviews. She said that we could get ten, but I was I was uh, which uh, I was compassionate. I was compassionate uh, because if I won, she would have to cook steak, and if she won, I would get to take her out, and I would love nothing more than to take to take her out. So we did extend it just a little bit. We're up to nine now. We're up to nine uh, reviews, and you can you can rate it without reviewing it. And go ahead and do that there on iTunes. Uh, you can get to it by going either to outside the wall, of course, outside the walls.com, click on the link there to iTunes, or just type in bit.ly slash OTW show. Bit.ly slash OTW show. That'll take you straight to the link on iTunes. Uh, you can rate it, you can review it, and uh, I've extended it for her. So if we can get uh, by the end of this week, if we can get up to above 10, that's really just one more, one more. Uh, then I will take her out for a steak dinner. And uh, that would be much preferable because she, she's she got a lot to do. She has six kids and she's pregnant. So be, be kind to my wife. Be kind to my wife. Go ahead, leave a review, a positive review, pre- preferably, of the show there on iTunes or your favorite aggregator. Let me know that you've done it if it's not iTunes. And uh, we will we will hopefully get her out of the house and buy her a steak. That's what I really want to do. So here we are. We're talking about suffering. Don't make my wife suffer. Don't be kind. Be kind. We're talking about suffering and and how Christ meets us in suffering and how we're never really alone. And there have been times in my life where I've just felt absolutely abandoned. And yet I've known that God was with me. Didn't feel it, couldn't see it, but I knew. I knew that he was just because I knew that he was. I, I had read enough scripture to know that the God that we believe in, that we have uh, been following here in Christendom for the last 2,000 years, uh, that that God provides for our needs. Uh, but one of the thoughts that I had to ask myself is, okay, what is my understanding of what my needs are? 
because God provides for all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Scripture tells us that, and, and we profess it in our belief. But at the same time, there are Christians in Africa and in Haiti and in places all over the world who, who don't experience the kind of prosperity and, and access to, to health care and access to whatever else, who, who don't have the same kind of structures and support systems that we have here. And so I have to ask myself, well, if it's true for me here in the United States, if it's true for me in suburbia, then it has to be true for all of Christendom. And so sometimes I have to readjust the way that I understand what it means for God to be faithful. I know enough to know that God is faithful. I know enough to know that I am not abandoned. But maybe the way I've been understanding God's provision and God's presence is wrong. Maybe, maybe I'm the one who's wrong. And so I turn and I look and I listen to the church and I find in the church this beautiful hope this hope that does not disappoint, uh, that Christ meets us in our suffering and provides for our needs. Uh, Dr. Franks mis- mentioned earlier uh, this document by Pope Benedict XVI called Spe Salvi, and we're going to read a little bit of that today as we close out the show. Uh, we don't have time to get both this and Scripture today, so we're going to get plenty of Scripture tomorrow. I want to jump right into this reading from Pope Benedict XVI. Suffering is a part of our human existence. Suffering stems partly from our finitude and partly from the mass of sin, which has accumulated over the course of history and continues to grow unabated today. Certainly, we must do whatever we can to reduce suffering, to avoid as far as possible the suffering of the innocent, to soothe pain, to give assistance in overcoming mental suffering. These are obligations both in justice and in love, and they are included among the fundamental requirements of the Christian life and every truly human life. Great progress has been made in the battle against physical pain, yet the sufferings of the innocent and the mental sufferings have, if anything, increased over recent decades. Indeed, we must do all we can to overcome suffering, but to banish it from the world altogether is not in our power. This is simply because we are unable to shake off our finitude and because none of us is capable of eliminating the power of evil of sin, which, as we plainly see, is a constant source of suffering. Only God is able to do this. Only a God who personally enters history by making himself man and suffering within history. We know that this God exists, and hence that this power to take away the sin of the world is present in the world. Through faith in the existence of this power, hope for the world's healing has emerged in history. It is, however, hope, not yet fulfillment, Hope that gives us the courage to place ourselves on the side of good, even in seemingly hopeless situations. Aware that as far as the external course of history is concerned, the power of sin will continue to be a terrible presence. We can try to limit suffering, to fight against it, but we cannot eliminate it. It is when we attempt to avoid suffering by withdrawing from anything that might involve hurt, when we try to spare ourselves the effort and pain of pursuing truth, love, and goodness— that we drift into a life of emptiness, in which there may be almost no pain, but the dark sensation of meaninglessness and abandonment is all the greater. It is not by sidestepping or fleeing from suffering that we are healed, but rather by our capacity for accepting it, maturing through it, and finding meaning through union with Christ, who suffered with infinite love. 
The true measure of humanity is essentially determined in relationship to suffering and to the sufferer. This holds true both for the individual and for society. A society unable to accept its suffering members and incapable of helping to share their suffering and bear it inwardly through compassion is a cruel and inhumane society. Yet society cannot accept its suffering members and support them in their trials unless individuals are capable of doing so themselves. Moreover, the individual cannot accept another's suffering unless he is personally able to find meaning in suffering, a path of purification and growth and maturity, a journey of hope. Indeed, to accept the other who suffers means that I take up his suffering in such a way that it becomes mine also, because it has now become a shared suffering in which another person is present. This suffering is penetrated by the light of love. The Latin word consolatio, consolation, expresses this beautifully. It suggests being with the other in his solitude, so that it ceases to be solitude. Furthermore, the capacity to accept suffering for the sake of goodness, truth, and justice is an essential criterion of humanity. Because if my own well-being and safety are ultimately more important than truth and justice, then the power of the stronger prevails, then violence and untruth reign supreme. Truth and justice must stand above my comfort and physical well-being, or else my life itself becomes a lie. In the end, even the yes to love is a source of suffering, because love always requires expropriations of my I, in which I allow myself to be pruned and wounded. Love simply cannot exist without this painful renunciation of myself, for otherwise it becomes pure selfishness and thereby ceases to be love. I would like to add here another brief comment with some relevance for everyday living. There used to be a form of devotion, perhaps less practiced today, but quite widespread not long ago, that included the idea of offering up the minor daily hardships that continually strike at us like irritating jabs, thereby giving them meaning. Of course, there were some exaggerations and perhaps unhealthy applications of this devotion, but we need to ask ourselves whether there might not, after all, have been something essential and helpful contained within it. What does it mean to offer something up? Those who did so were convinced that they could insert these little annoyances into Christ's great compassion, so that they somehow became part of the treasury of compassion so greatly needed by the human race. In this way, even the small inconveniences of daily life could acquire meaning and contribute to the economy of good and of human love. Maybe we should consider whether it might be judicious to revive this practice ourselves. That reading comes from the encyclical Space Salve, which means saved in hope, from Pope Benedict XVI. As we quickly approach the end of the Lenten season, as we enter into Holy Week, I hope that you'll take the time to examine those sufferings that you've endured in the light of how our suffering can be redemptive both for us and for society. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Outside the Walls is made possible by the generous contributions of our friends of the show, heard on live streaming, terrestrial radio, and podcasting. You can find out more information over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.